9.35 the time on the Suncoast Morning Magazine. And uh, speaking of funny, seriously funny, the rebel comedians of the 1950s and 1960s is a fascinating book about the groundbreaking comedians that revolutionized the art form of stand-up comedy and subsequently the way we see comedy on television today. Mort Saul, Jonathan Winters, Lenny Bruce, and Bob Newhart are just a few of the legendary comedians portrayed in the book. We welcome author Gerald Nackman to the Suncoast Morning Magazine. Thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm just fine. How are you? Appreciate you getting up a little bit early. I know you're out on the West Coast. and I've been reading the book uh, over the last uh, few days, and it's really uh, a fascinating insight into the lives and minds of some of the great comedians. What inspired you to write the book? Well, a couple of things. First of all, it's an era that I lived through. I was uh, kind of in college when, the, when all this started, and I used to go to this legendary club in San Francisco where I grew up uh, called The Hungry Eye. And I used to see people like Jonathan Winters and Bob Newhart and Mort Saul and Shelley Berman and Bill Cosby and uh, Woody Allen. And uh, so that was one reason I really, I really remember it very well and experienced it firsthand. But the other thing is that I, uh, I, uh, this era had never been put into a book before. All these guys that I realized came along at the same time in about a, about a 10 or 12 year period, which was really a, really a, a golden age. It really was. When you look back at uh, what comedy was like in the 30s and 40s, uh, basically from the vaudeville days, it was a lot of stock jokes and, and kind of well, non-sequiturs. one-liners about, about mother, mother-in-law jokes and right. all that kind of stuff. And it really wasn't very cutting-edge or very socially relevant. It wasn't satirical. It was just, uh, it was really, uh, you know, a lot of those guys were pretty funny, uh, but they weren't, but they weren't really saying anything. They weren't mm -hmm. saying anything about the country or what was going on in the world or in their own lives. Yeah, as great as the Jack Benny and Milton Berle was, like you said, it was uh, pretty much material that they've done for years, whereas these new comedians they came out, especially Mort Saul, a great chapter on him in the book, yeah. he basically just came out with a newspaper and uh, it almost looked like he was making it up off the top of his head, his act. Well, that was the thing. A lot of these guys wrote their own material. The other guys of the earlier tradition, kind of the Catskill resort tradition, uh, you know, relied on writers. They didn't have original ideas. And these guys all did, beginning, as you say, with Mort Saul. In, uh, all, 50, just a little over 50 years ago, he, in 53, this all began with him. Yeah, I happened to have a chance to see him, uh, I guess about in the early 80s, maybe mid-80s, he was doing a, a one-man show on Broadway. He came oh, back. Yeah. And uh, that was the first time I actually got to see him, you know, in a live performance. I'd seen him on television. And it really was uh, remarkable how he did it. Uh, I know some of it had to be, you know, prepared material, but he'd come out with the newspaper in the sweater and uh, just kind of talking off the top of his head, did maybe 20, 25 minutes on that yeah. day's uh, news. Right. Well, that's it. It, it, it seemed extemporaneous, and, and I think it was all, he didn't, he, I don't think he wrote things down, but he created on his and then he kind of built on that from show to show. But he just had such an inventive, original mind. And um, there was a different kind of a style that you just put your finger on. It was more of a conversational style. It wasn't the, with the, the rat-a-tat-tat, one-liner style of, like, uh, Milton Burroughs, you say, or Jack Carter, mm -hmm. or that whole, uh, or the late Alan King. Uh, it was really a different kind of comedy in, in, in the content and also in the style. You mentioned The Hungry Eye and uh, that being really one of the uh, yeah. prime uh, comedy spots. I guess you could call it an early uh, version of uh, what became like the improv in New York and places like that, but well, Friedman's right. places. Yeah, the, the, new, the little intimate comedy club was a new phenomenon, and that, was, that, that, that helped launch all these guys' careers because they weren't guys who stood up in a big posh resort somewhere 
and sang and danced and did and did it in imitation. They were really, uh, they were just talking to you, and it was really, and you had to be up close to really, to really catch it all. And it was a, it was a different kind of a, of an atmosphere to hear comedy in. So many people got their start out there. You talk a lot about in the book about that. Uh, Woody Allen, for one. A lot of people may not realize he was a, a fine stand-up comedian. He started out as a writer on, on the old Seizure show, but uh, mm -hmm. he broke out into doing some stand-up comedy. Uh, just give an idea of, of some of the young talent that, uh, that started out at the Hungry Eye. Well, uh, well, uh, well, let's see. Well, Woody Phil Allen. Diller. He, he actually started in New York, but he got a big boost. So the, the Hungry Eye was kind of the, 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 the flagship uh, club at the time, so you had to really appear here to make it. Oh, uh, well, I guess you could. Well, more so certainly Nichols and May, the great comedy team of that era, and Mac Nichols and Elaine May. Right. You know, a, a lot of people in their 30s today don't even realize that people like uh, like Cosby and and Woody Allen had major stand-up careers. They only know them from television or from movies. You talk about Nichols and May. Uh, they put out some really great albums oh, back yeah. then. I happened to have one that was put, reissued on a CD. And uh, again, when you talk about uh, seemingly coming off the top of their head, they they get together and, and do these great sketches. Uh, especially yeah, one on, about the phone operator and somebody losing the, their dime. It was, it was classic uh, yeah, stuff. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. They did some classic stuff, and it's really too bad they re they broke up after about four years. But they did some wonderful uh, classic albums that are still available in CD form. I think they only wrote, they only did about three or four albums. But that, yeah, that was another thing at the time. The comedy album was a whole new phenomenon, and people could could make it oh literally overnight. Shelley Berman was one. He put out the first uh, major uh, comedy album in 1960, I think. Right, I believe it won and a Grammy. Followed, yeah, uh, Inside Shelley Berman, and everybody played those comedy albums. They played them for their friends. They had parties, and that really spread the word quickly. And then they were played on the air on radio. In those days, uh, a lot of the DJs would play would play comedy albums, and that spread the word very quickly. New, but Newhart was an overnight sensation, also. The button-down mind of Bob Newhart uh, right. really broke him into the into the consciousness of the public, uh, doing oh, yeah. telephone uh, bits. He never even played in a nightclub. He made these tapes in Chicago and. A, a DJ named Dan Sorkin put him on the air, and uh, and then he introduced them to some Warner Brothers Records executives, and they listened to the tapes, and uh, they said, "This is great. We really want to. We we'd like to make a, an album. Where are you playing?" And he said, "Well, he'd never he'd never been in a nightclub. <laughs> he, I mean, he'd been in one. He'd never he'd never played in a nightclub. So they had to find him a nightclub, and then they cut the album over a weekend at a club they found in Houston." But all he'd ever done was make these tapes, and uh, and uh, so he had to learn how to be a stand-up comedian. He was an accountant, I believe, at the time, wasn't he? Yeah, he was an accountant, which he talked about in, in his act. That, uh, and he, he was an advertising guy for a while, mm -hmm. and a lot of his co early comedy came out of those. Came out of that. He was making fun of the uh, the PR mentality, image makers, and right. all that stuff. You remember his famous routine about Abe Lincoln. Being, Abe Lincoln, sure. Yeah. And, uh, Sir Walter Raleigh. What's that? Sir Walter Raleigh introducing Sir tobacco Walter Raleigh, as a classic. And Abner Doubleday trying to sell a game idea to Parker Brothers. Right. <laughs> and he did it via, the, via this very unusual way of using a, a you know, invisible uh, person on the, on the other end of a phone. And you had, to, you had to figure out what the other guy was saying, which was part of the, the interaction between the, between the listener and, the, and Newhart. As you could tell by what he was saying, what the other person had said. 
They did it so brilliantly. Kind of a comedy. They did a very brilliantly uh, constructed act where uh, you know he'd leave just enough of it out so you had to imagine what the other person was saying. Yeah, right, exactly. And and of course before here, actually Shelley Berman was the first. He broke in doing that. And then the new heart took it in another direction, also using a telephone. Yeah, Shelley Berman, uh, a little more like manic style, I would say, uh, kind of a nervous wreck on stage. Well, he was a nervous wreck on stage, and he, he did a lot of uh, more poignant vignettes. It wasn't strictly comedy. Mm -hmm. he, he did a lot of funny stuff, but he did these little uh, little vignettes about uh, kind of losers and so on, and, and kind of neurotic types. He was the first really uh, neurotic uh, he was. On stage, right, <laughs> comedian. <laughs> you talk a little bit about the book. you got some great stories. The book is called Seriously Funny, The Rebel Comedians of the 50s and 60s. Gerald Nackman is our guest. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about Shelley Berman. Uh, he was kind of hurt, in effect, uh, by a documentary, wasn't he, yeah. where he was doing his act? Talk about that for a second. Well, that, in 1963, he was like the hottest comedian in the country. He was sort of the Chris Rock of his day, I guess. And uh, a documentary, uh, some guys who were making a documentary wanted to do one of him. And so they followed him around uh, through a couple of days, and one of the things they, that they, they photographed was, was him on stage. Uh, uh, during a performance, uh, a phone rang backstage, which the audience could hear, and it really just totally broke the mood and ruined his act, and then it rang again, and he just blew up, and during intermission he went backstage and blew his top. And, but the, the documentary filmmakers caught all this on camera, and then it, it was shown on network TV, and it really, uh, really destroyed his career. It's mm. amazing that that could have done it. Uh, but in those days, uh, something that uh, showing a, a, a performer uh, being that candid and uh, showing his uh, his anger was enough to really hurt his career. Uh, the club owners didn't want to book him. They were afraid he was a hothead, and they didn't want to take a chance. It really, it really hurt him for many, many years. Yeah, basically, uh, he did some acting off and on in television, but never really regained that popularity. He never did. Today. Yeah. He never did. And the same happened to say, well, that's the other part of this book, is uh, I tell about the, the rise of most of the of all these comedians, but in some cases there were some falls also, some very hurtful. We're going to pick up with some more of those stories. If you can just hang through the break, Gerald, we'll be back. Great. This is the Suncoast Morning Magazine. We're talking with Gerald Nackman. Seriously funny. The rebel comedians of the 50s and 60s. Stay with us. Twelve twenty. 9.49 the time on the Suncoast Morning Magazine. We're talking with uh, Gerald Nackman, a really interesting book, and we, we really recommend it here. We don't, you know, we don't book authors that we don't uh, think write great books, and this is one of them right here. Seriously funny, the rebel comedians of the 50s and 60s. We're talking about uh, uh, some of the, the great comics that broke through in that era, and uh, Talk a little bit about how the Ed Sullivan Show and some of the variety programs uh, started to book these guys on television back then, and, and it really helped their careers uh, to last a lot longer, don't you think? Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, the, the, first of all, there was the comedy record that I mentioned. And the other thing that was important, was very important, was uh, the late-night shows. Uh, uh, Steve Allen and Jack Barr, right. when they were running The Tonight Show, a lot of these guys were a little too, too non-traditional, too too uh, cutting edge to get on immediately to get on the Ed Sullivan show and the Gary Moore show and some of the variety shows. They had to break in on the fringes, uh, which was then like late night. Uh, and uh, so Steve Allen was a huge, uh, had a huge part in this. He was, of course, he's in the book. I have a chapter. Because he himself was an amazingly funny guy. And, 
and he was a huge booster of comedians, and he would bring on people he'd heard about or seen, and uh, like, well, Jackie Mason was one, but there were several. Uh, and so these guys got a hearing on his show, and then after they had sort of proven themselves on the show, uh, on their shows, on Steve Allen's show, or on Jack Parr, also had a lot of these people on, uh, the Smothers Brothers and Jonathan Winters, and uh, uh, then they would get booked on the bigger shows like Ed Sullivan. Right. You talk about Steve Allen. He actually, uh, I believe, may have been one of the first, if not the first, to book uh, Lenny Bruce on network television, wasn't he? Well, you know, when I did the research on this book, I found out Lenny Bruce had only been on, t on national TV uh, six times in his whole career. And Is that he all? Built, he built a huge career. Well, nobody would take a chance on him because they were afraid what he might, of what he might say. And he didn't have, he had a lot of material that wasn't dirty. Everyone thinks of him as, a, as, as this great dirty comic, but... And you know he had some pretty he had some pretty blue stuff, but he he could do a, he could do a he could do a a, a non a non uh, dirty act and but uh, but Alan took a chance and and of course in late night even in those days you could get away with a little more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, a couple of years ago I, I grew up in New York and uh, go up occasionally uh, the Museum of TV and Radio. Uh, oh, you've yeah. been there and, and you get to see some of the old Tonight shows and That's shows great. like that and uh, yeah you see some of those great comedians there. That's a, yeah, that's a major source of, of, uh, of uh, you know, just go in and watch any, any old uh, late-night show. And uh, um, so that, yeah, so that's where they, so that's where they broke in. And then, and then people like Ed Sullivan would book them. just want to throw out a few names as we have just a couple of minutes left. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, Jonathan Winters. Uh, really improvisational and his style kind of broke the mold as far as that goes. Yeah, well, he, he was one of the most unusual because he was more of a clown. These other guys were more intellectual. And satirical, and he was satirical, but he would do these, he would do the, the, all the all the characters, and he was really an actor, because uh, when you think about Jonathan Winters, you don't think about anything he, he particularly said. Mm -hmm. It was really about the characters that he created, and the whole. Uh, he was really doing these uh, riffs on American archetypes, and uh, and it, it, he was uh, just he was really one of a kind, and he was he truly was a, uh, improvisational. He didn't write anything down. As a result, he really couldn't make a name for himself in movies or TV because uh, directors were afraid to take a chance because, you know, when you do improv, 50% of it is brilliant, 50% of it is terrible. Right, right. And the time is money, and so he never carved out a bigger name for himself. You have a, an interesting chapter in the book about uh, three impressionists, which I, I thought was interesting. Uh, David Fry, Vaughn Meter, and Will Jordan, all who really rose to the top quickly and kind of petered out just as fast. Uh, talk did. a little bit about that. Uh, they all had different sad stories. Uh, uh, of course, Vaughn Meter did the famous First Family album, and he was just another hack comedian until he realized he could do a great imitation of John Kennedy. <laughs> and then after Kennedy was shot, that was also the uh, last, the end of Vaughn Meter's career. He never... He never came back because he didn't have anything else really that was strong enough, as strong as that. And then Will Jordan, uh, you know, he did the famous Ed Sullivan impression, but he did a lot of great impressions. He was like the, the master impressionist. And he just, uh, I mean, things just didn't break well for him. A lot of people stole his Sullivan uh, act, and uh, so then he couldn't get booked because other people were doing it, and it really, it really pulled the rug out from him. And then. Uh, David Fry did the great political impressions. He did LBJ and he did Bobby Kennedy, and uh, that that was a whole new thing for impressionists to do political figures. They usually would do, you know, Jimmy Cagney and Edward G. Robinson and so on, Cary Grant. But uh, uh, but uh, Fry was uh, Fry just uh, had some bad luck. He was a 
apparently uh, was a drinker and mm. just had some psychological problems, I was told, and so that was the that was sort of the end of him. Yeah, you're talking about uh, uh, Will Jordan. Uh, just doing some reading on him in your book, and and. Uh... He really, he really was the guy who invented the Ed Sullivan imitation that so many oh, yeah. other people stole, and, and it really has bothered him the rest of his career that people kept stealing from him. Well, it did. He, he got a little obsessive with him. He's kind of an obsessive guy, and he it kind of ate away at him. But he did a lot of great voices. He and, does, uh, yeah. But, but the Sullivan one was his calling card, and then when people like Jack Carter and others uh, did it, it, it hurt his career. David Fry, uh, they show some of the old Sullivan shows uh, down here on the local PBS station. He happened to be on last week, and he was one of those impressionists like a Frank Gorshin who would almost make his face look like the person he was imitating. Yeah, well, there were a lot of great impressions at that time. John Biner was another one. Right, right. And Frank Gorshin, as you say, and they became physical, yeah, they became physical mimics as well as uh, verbal. Just we got about a minute left, Gerald. Uh, Anything that really surprised you when you did this research on these comedians, maybe something you didn't realize about them? Well, that, uh, a lot of it was kind of the dark side of some of their careers. Some of these careers that collapsed, uh, caved in on them. There were about, uh, I don't know, about 10 or 12 of the comedians who really uh, lost their traction, like Mort Saul and like Shelley Berman. I, I mean, I was aware they weren't around as much, but I wanted to tell what happened to them and the reason why. And it, it's kind of sad in a way what happened because they were really... They're still just as funny as they were then. They're in they're in their 70s or, in some cases, early 80s. But they're very. It's too bad they're not seen anymore because they're still just as sharp and funny as they as they ever were. Yeah, a handful of them you see performing around. I guess more so occasionally they'll do something uh, in a club. Yeah, once in a while, but not too often. Much more. He had to be on TV. But you know, you know if you're not on TV. As somebody, as one of the comics told me, if you're not on TV, you don't exist. That's you know? true, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Smothers Brothers, I guess you could say, probably still as almost as popular as they were from their television Well, they show. had a yeah, they had a rejuvenation of their act, and uh, they went through a long period after the CBS show was uh, was canceled, uh, where they couldn't get any work, and they really uh, they all they broke up for a while, and then they, in the last 10, 15 years, they've had a uh, a revival of their career, and they're. They're kind of icons now, and uh, they're still doing the same act they did before. Right. And I wanted them in the book because they were rebels, not in their act so much, but in the TV show that they ran. Yeah, they did a fascinating bio uh, documentary about them called Smothered. Where it I went saw that. It. it was very, very Very good. well done, yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, I guess yeah, Bill all, Cosby. All, I'm sorry, go ahead. They all have interesting lives. They all could have been a book unto themselves, I think. It really is. Uh, you, you really delve into it and give some good insight. And uh, a fascinating book called Seriously Funny, The Rebel Comedians of the 50s and 60s. And Gerald Nackman, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, and we'll uh, like to have you on again sometime. Well, Doug, thank you very much. I, I appreciate talking to you.